Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, men and women, non-conformers and non-believers, gender X and gender equals, welcome to Eat the Storms, the poetry podcast. My name is Damien B. Donnelly. This is episode five, season six. And thank you so much for joining us today, tomorrow, next week, next month or next year, or whenever it is you have tuned in on your preferred podcast platform. That could be Spotify, Apple, Anchor, Google, Breaker, Podbean, Player FM, Overcast, Pocketcast, Castbox, Podcast Addicts, iTunes or any of the platforms where we are available. Today on the show, we are taking you up to Northern Ireland, to Antrim. We are heading across to a Cumbrian poet in County Mayo here in the Republic of Ireland. We are heading over to England and then we have two stops in the United States. So settle down, pour yourself a nice gin and tonic, a mulled wine, a cup of tea, Serve yourself up a slice of cake or perhaps even an early minced pie. This is Eat the Storms and I hope you enjoy the show. Now, starting off the show today with our first guest, we are journeying up to the north of this island of Ireland, to the beautiful Antrim coast, to a prose writer and a poet who lives there with her partner and their two dogs. Her work has been published in places like the Bangor Literary Journal and the Community Arts Partnership pamphlet Over the Threshold, while she is also a regular spoken word contributor at events such as O Beehive, the Belfast Poetry Slam and the Morecambe Poetry Festival. Today, taking a break from completing her Master's in Creative Writing at the Open University, I am thrilled to welcome to Eat the Storms for the first time, the part-time therapeutic counsellor, Mary Ringland. Hello, my name is Mary Ringland. I've been a writer for the past 12 years and during the first lockdown, I began writing poetry, mainly as a way of keeping sane. Before I start, I would just like to say how lovely it is to be taking part in Eat the Storms. So thanks for having me, guys. Today, I am going to be reading four poems. The first one is entitled Cold Water Swimmer. Cold Water Swimmer. Here she comes, a whopper of a woman wiping out the sun's rays, slipping on slimy seaweed, stomping over stone-cold rocks, swearing as she goes, mining a path through shifting sands. No lifeguards, no wetsuit, no hope of survival, no common sense. She dips her toe in the 12 centigrade shock-inducing, life-threatening, salty solution, gives an involuntary, shivery wriggle. Her happy moon face eclipsed by the realisation that she could be one small step away from being front-page news. Then in she goes, a 22-stone water nymph, sinuous and sleek, a selkie of the deep. piece 
I would like to read is entitled, I Would Change the Sheets. I would change the sheets if I could be rid of your scent from last night, the scent of my fear now that you're not here. If the nightmares and the noise gnawing at my frazzled nerves could be numbed, if my creased and crumpled confidence were as easy to iron out as the 140 thread count of cool Egyptian cotton, if those flattened pillows full of shattered dreams could be fluffed up, given a prime time TV makeover, if it were possible to straighten out a feathered duvet full of delusion and ease my confusion, if a night cocooned in crisp, fresh linen, could put wrongs to right instead of rights to wrong, I would change the sheets, if only it were that easy, to make a lavender-scented, fresh bed of lies and put heartbreak on standby. Okay, this next piece is entitled Cosmic dust. Cosmic dust shot through my space-time continuum in meteoric splendour. Heart a deep black hole, an asteroid careering through a starless void. You caught me on the rebound, astounded me with a nuclear fusion of love, a kaleidoscopic confusion, a nebulous illusion. Wasn't it Jane Austen who said, To love is to burn, to be on fire. Is that why our love turns supernova? Burnt out, frazzled, no longer bedazzled? Now for my final piece, uh, I would like to read a poem entitled, If Only It Were Possible. If only it were possible to walk away from this mess, amble through this picture-perfect postcard full of possibility, shake off the spidery sil silken strands and ease my nerves, stretched taut by this web of sorrow, settle at the splintered edge of reason, feet dangling proud above the chipped paintwork of fractured dreams. Skate across the glossy surface, floating like burnt umber crepe, cast off free from fear of drowning. Make good my mind, cracked as the kitchen tile you split open when you dropped my heart that summer in 1994. Upend and empty out the memory boxes, the overstuffed coffins full of withered souls and spirits not yet flown. Slide off the slipway of the sun-bleached jetty and slowly swim away. Well, that's me, folks. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that and I'd like to thank you all for listening. I'd also like to thank Eat the Storms again for giving me the opportunity. 
Goodbye. Well, next up, I am delighted to welcome a returning guest to Eat the Storms. Joining us from the UK, this is a neurodivergent writer who rediscovered poetry in 2019 at the age of 57, when she was studying part-time for an MA in creative writing at the University of Kent. Since then, her poetry has flourished. She was long-listed in 2020 for the Rebecca Swift Foundation Women's Poetry Prize. Nominated for Best of the Net in 2021, shortlisted for the Aesthetica Creative Writing Award and the winner of the Lawrence Stern Prize. This summer, her poetry collection Edible was published by the brilliant Bear Bua Press here in Ireland and coming very shortly is her micro trap book My Lost Womb Still Sings to Me from Pork Belly Press. I am delighted to hand you over now to the always excellent Jane Ayres. Hello. I'm Jane Ayres, and my first poem is called There's a Ghost in My House. Although I didn't realise at first, until I saw it by chance after leaving for work one morning and something made me turn, look up. There she was, framed in my bedroom window, smiling and waving, waving and smiling. Startled, I ran back along the path, unlocked the door, raced up the stairs, heart pounding, fearful, curious. Flung open the bedroom door, but the space was empty, so I must have imagined it. However, since then I see her often, in the same place, but only when I go out, like we are sharing the house. She never leaves a trace, and eventually I've got used to her being there. But yesterday, walking home from work, I began to notice others staring through windows on every street, sometimes just a faint silhouette or half-shadow, a fragile thread of presence, sometimes clear and strong with sword-sharp edges, which was more disturbing, and I struggled to make sense of it until I realised we all share our homes with ghosts, and if you don't believe me, next time you leave your house and walk away, look back. You'll see them watching you, smiling and waving, waving and smiling. The next poem's called Nobody Listened. Do you like what you see, what they saw, or does it require more seasoning? Tell me again the story of how she was neglected, abandoned, locked away, forgotten, unable to leave the house, and no one listened, so jammy loops of words, syllables snaking, kept her company, kept her safe, until she became visible once more. But it was already too late, and although she was granted freedom to leave the house, she was unable to leave the house. So she wrote stories instead, wafers of memory, unwrapping susurration, unfolding rapture. Because the words, true companions, those honeyed constellations had never deserted or condemned her. Every trickling consonant and glossy vowel licking Vociferous shadows.
The next poem is called Nevermore. Fossilised in merciless stitches, sugar-coated, gift-wrapped, making your move not without risk, hoarding moments that didn't belong to you would never be yours. The next poem's called Once Upon a Time. An empty bed, bare mattress stripped. And I remember lying there beside you after Dad's funeral, sharing warmth, sharing grief, sleep elusive. And I remember listening to bedtime stories, your voice safe, a gift, possibilities of other worlds with happier endings. The next poem is called Dreams of Luminous Gill-Bearing Aquatic Craniate Animals May Prove Surprisingly Therapeutic When Experiencing Profound Grief. Untwisting the living canvas, it felt dirty on my skin, as if the sea was thick, textured with surface dust, the day sliding away in a shoal of memories, harsh debris floating by, a lighter touch as waves spewed phosphorescent fish droplets onto the shore where crowds gathered, watched, gasped in wonder, so many. I swam toward them, each stroke eating water, and emerged amazed. For a time, it helped me forget. The next poem it's called, When I Think of My Father, I See a Kingfisher. A quiet man. You taught me everything you knew about birds, patterns of song, flight, feathers flutter, seeing what many miss. So when I spot a Jenny Wren hiding beneath a hedge, hear the bold blackbird's melody, the tap, tap, tap of a green woodpecker, my heart responds like the tiny heartbeat of a bird. Don't forget, nature can be cruel, you said. Words translucent angelfish. As we walked together by the sun-dappled river, the kaleidoscopic orange-blue flash of a kingfisher, vivid, vibrant, skimming the reedy green. Now, remembering how cancer devoured your body, spilling out from the inside, your words resonate. A quiet man. My final poems from my collection Edible, um, published by Bear Boer Press, and it's called We All Want a Happy Ending Without Jagged Edges. Silk-tongued, shedding spilt milk that splits glass, dawn unfurls randomly, shallow gleamed, a new day jutting, reimagined, in my head, in my heart, an unwinding, lambs to the slaughter. Fill me, don't fill me, tilt and slit, the porous ripple of your phosphorescent kiss stutters. Fresh earth, mossy breath. I am visceral, but there is still a gap in the fence. Thank you very much.
For our third guest today on Eat the Storms, we are leaving the United Kingdom and heading over to the United States instead for a Harvard College and Medical School trained physician, a Stanford professor and a healthcare CEO. Currently, he's devoting his energy to dealing with climate justice and serves on the Climate Action Now's board. In terms of his writing, he's been nominated for the 2020 Science Fiction Poetry Association Dwarf Star Award, won the San Francisco Poetry 2022 contest and the Poetry in the Arts First Place Award. He has been widely published in places like Tokyo Poetry Review, the Buddhist Poetry Review, the Los Angeles Review, the New York Times and San Francisco Magazine, to name but a few. The author of four collections of poetry, including Homeless Chronicles, Disputes and Melting the Ice King, please enjoy the poetic musings of Jerry Sarnat. This is Jerry Sarnat reading two poems about the Buddhist concept of mudita, which is the Pali word for empathy. Poem number one, far out space capsule hygiene to avoid primal screams. Trying to preserve equanimity in our coroned twosome, when spousal abuse is rapidly rising worldwide, oi, we each make it a priority point to tolerate the other's ways of wanting to do things regardless of personal preference thus offering prime opportunity to live on minute-to-minute basis. My favorite Buddhist precept, mudita, or to be in another's shoes. And the second poem is called Mudita. Few bad hours, rattled by our tons of petty post-COVID, decrepit aging home junk got a fix gone wrong. Usual rose-colored glasses, half-full, positive attitude, gone a bit haywire. Suddenly helps Jer observe himself to have immense gratitude now, for how very lucky most days seem, feeling so fine, but when not, my skin's just too thin, which helps you to understand how black at times it could get for people who never know, from one minute to dicey next, if chronic infirmities or disabilities act up to ruin moods. As I try hard to put me in loving position to look through other folks' eyes with compassion, equanimity to be in their shoes. Thank you very much, uh, Jerry Sarnap. My penultimate guest on the show today, we are staying firmly in the United States, this time cozying up along the coast of North Carolina to hear from a poet whose work has appeared in places like Poetry South, Dodging the Rain, Juniper Poetry Journal and many more. This year, the Evening Street Press published her collection To Drink from the Wider Bowl, which became the winner of the Sinclair Poetry Prize. And on the way is another collection called On Shifting Shoals from Kelsey Books. 
Joining us for the very first time on Eat the Storms, please give it up in the comfort of your own armchair and the comfort of your own living room for Joanne Durham. Thank you so much for having me on the Storms podcast. My name is Joanne Durham, and I live in North Carolina, USA, about 100 feet from the Atlantic Ocean. Today I'd like to read from my debut poetry collection, To Drink from a Wider Bowl. My book won the Sinclair Poetry Prize and was published by Evening Street Press in April 2022. My book is an unapologetic look at getting older and the discoveries and ongoing questions encountered along the way. I come from Eastern European immigrants who came to the United States in the late 1800s and early 1900s, so my first poem is in honor of them. It's called Crazy Eights. My grandmother played a mean game of Crazy Eights. She didn't hug me or pinch my cheeks like the great aunts. She never smiled. That's all I knew then, of a girl, oldest of eight, who grew up in a mud shack, gathered cow dung to seal windows from the harsh Russian winter. A girl whose job was to signal the soldiers' approach, then ply them with drink, while their brothers ran off to the hills to escape becoming cannon fodder on the front lines of the army. That's all I knew then, of a girl who crossed the ocean alone, to make a home for the family, who married a boy dead eight years later, who was forced out of the tobacco business she and her husband started. Not smart enough, her brothers said, who never smiled or pinched my cheeks, but played a mean game of crazy eights. Most of my life I've been a teacher and also a learner, about the many ways my personal life is interwoven with the larger world around me. So many of the poems in my collection address those connections. This poem is called Learning and was written when I was a teacher. What happens to the sun at night? I ask the four-year-olds, cross-legged on the carpet. Marcos confidently explains, it goes to New Jersey. April whose mom has read her books about everything, helpfully chirps, the earth tilts and you can't see it anymore. Darnell, with raised arm churning the air, counters, the sun breaks up into little pieces and fills the sky with stars. In the morning, they come back together and make another sun. Science and poetry, poised on the edge of cosmic battle, until my smiling voice intervenes, celebrates, how children's minds tilt on their own axes. You are creators of stories to explain the world. You carry on an ancient tradition. On my way home, I ponder if we could learn to live this way, each in the darkness, illuminating one small stretch of sky, and then together making a brilliant focused energy from all we've seen, from all we've learned. This poem is called You Can't Put the Red Sea in a Poem. You can't put the Red Sea in a poem, a famous poet warned. If you let it in, 
Your poem is crammed with two million Israelites clutching babies in arms, with satchels of clothes and unleavened bread. And you've invited in the enormous weight of a god who punishes evil by slaying slave owners' children. So here come the Egyptians as God splits open that unmentionable sea, just in time for the migrants to cross and close it right up on the pursuers. And your poem is choking on all those drowning men, flailing horses, and wrecked chariots. And next thing you know, you have races and nations and power and poverty all spilled in the red ink of misery, and your poem is overwhelmed. It's baffled that he, because it's always he, never sat them all down and explained this wasn't what he had in mind. Those intense seven days, he created a world so magnificent Poets can't stop trying to describe it, which is what happened to me when it snowed at the beach at high tide. Not just a dusting, but a full-on onslaught of snow we hadn't seen in these parts in years, downing telephone wires and snapping tree branches and power out. When the snow finally stopped and the tide receded, it left a wide strip of sand along the shore, Snow mounds piled like crystal dunes on one side, and the ocean's perpetual roar on the other. And in between, the tiny miracle of a parting I passed through, kicking scattered seashells like nothing strange and beautiful had happened. Nothing that needs to mention the Red Sea. And finally, I'd like to read Buying a Globe for My Grandson During the Pandemic. He can't comprehend how north means anything but sky. Thinks south is underground. So I search online. Elephants trumpet across Tanzania on talking globes. The Eiffel Tower illuminates all of Europe. Customer reviews dim the flashy displays. I write, I rate Indian buyers, their birthplace mapped as China. Americans demand borders between states, not shown on any other country. Globes crack in careless hands. One globe arrived with two southern hemispheres. The owner thought it an improvement, didn't send it back. I long for a brick-and-mortar store, to know if names of distant rivers are large enough to read. Feel the relief of the Himalayas. Spin tilted stands to test their resilience. Lands joined in a blue blur. I'm not giving up the search for a perfect world for my grandson. Thank you so much. If you'd like to purchase the book, please visit Evening Street Press at eveningstreetpress.com, on amazon.com, or you can contact me at my website, www.joeandurham.com. Thank you. My final guest on Eat the Storms today brings us back here to Ireland and over to the West Coast to County Mayo, where she lives with her Irish partner and two children. 
A native of Cumbria in the United Kingdom, it wasn't until she reached the age of 40 that she began to accept the fact that she might be a serious poet. And I think today you're going to discover that she is a serious poet. She has been published in various places like Abridged, A New Ulster, Green Ink Poetry and will shortly be appearing in Skylight 47. Shortlisted for the Open Window 2023 Mentorship Programme, she will also be featured in January at the 20th anniversary of the Over the Edge Literary Events held in Galway City Library. With poetry that often stems from several decades enduring mental and physical ill health, I am thrilled to hand you over to our final guest today, Terry Metcalf. Water rising. As I watch the bath run and rise, I contemplate how water can never be undrawn, only emptied. The child of the well bleeding wet drops onto dust, hands clamshell shut around the pail. Fish in rising acid tanks, their oxygen-hungry gills breathe fossils return to fossils. Babies drink their mother's poison, run off from forests slain to fill sacks. Floods move immovables in a dance of boundaries, yet drought drains to reptilian skin. Taps drip rust as those with no voice are dug and drilled like amber-trapped insects. I sink, let water cover me, let it pull me under. You catch me. You catch me watching you, with my pride that could spill over like a rogue wave, twice the size of love. Building with lives less than half the size, I help to find the piece that fits, search among the bricks, the bits, to make connections. And you'll carry them from room to room, from year to year, from womb to tomb. I follow picking up debris, doubt, Reassembling, count each piece and place a hero, smooth a careful crease on your hairline. The other hand bears a tear in my throat as you catch me holding you close. I know one day you'll let go. Hitching. I should remind you about the last day of the last term of the first year when we hitched a lift home, two hours before classes ended. How we smoked a fag at the big oak in preparation, its solidity helping to steady the nerves. How we chewed the gum, sprayed the Lulu eau de toilette. I should remind you of his thick accent, thick like chloroform in the mouth. How he dropped his H's, happened the skiving lasses, and listened to Radio Cumbria. How reception broke like trust and crackled to a hiss. How jaws of crags appeared to jeer as we drove deeper into the valley. I should remind you how our parents warned us about this kind of thing. Strange men, often with sweets or puppies, or a long raincoat hiding something unimaginable. How this Yorkshire alien had a van called the Passion Wagon, and a sticker that read, Don't laugh, you're next. I should remind you how the red plastic seats stuck to our legs and made slapping noises like a fish out of water. How our thighs stung and our hearts were dead cargo dumped in Johnny's wood or meat for eels in the beck. How we'd be ghost stories for tourists. They carry their rucksacks like guilt. I should remind you 
how he dropped us by, by Howe Lane bus stop, how he sat and smoked another fag in the silence, tar and arsenic masking the smell of dead sheep, how summer had been burst like an ugly zit, how he forgot to chew the gum or spray the cheap perfume, how your dad grounded you for two weeks, and how I said, imagine if we'd been his type. Monarch. In post-anaesthetic delirium, I compared my situation to the dead monarch butterfly that the cat mauled yesterday. Its now pale wings once a cover-up, like a pair of white gloves waving to a crowd of common small tortoiseshells. Its transparent sheath, which once was an opaque and jewelled robe, spilled the guts of its history across pavements and green-green lawns adorned with worker ants busying themselves to blind jubilance. Saving only the choicest mementos in defence of a nest of cocoons that wait to be birthed into their own torrential praise, the ants turn soil, composing the myth of Gloriana, rare as in never truly seen, endangered as in close to extinct. Although saddened by the death, I wondered where this dull breath came from, a grief for something I did not know, grief that was as fleeting as the butterfly's beauty, all that energy into stained glass perfection, stained glass distortion, a quick metamorphosis from entrance to exit. Seabirds. The heron was there, balanced on one tightrope leg, as if the water was too cold, head hooked into a sickle. He'd fished until the bay had muted to ash, but his stomach still groaned like the earth in drought, as feathers caught and flickered in the wind, craving to take off through mackerel skies to fuller seas. The egret flew in, white as a pearl, silently landing on mudflats that lay like silk. She'd returned from the islands, past cormorants in their oil-like green and blue, whose dark seabed cries sang. We have swum from here to the deep. There is not a mollusk nor sardine in all these waters. She guarded her hatchlings, for the cormorant's hunger was wretched. The tern, with his marble eye, had watched as Sprat were swallowed by giant fish with fins the size of icebergs, speeds of a whale, and that strangely moved above water. So he'd eaten a bland hard thing that had shone like a sand eel and left him full for days. Now the fork of his tail would no longer hover the oceans like a weightless veil. The puffin gazed skyward, her beak once orange as scallop coral, now fading to autumn silence, as fishermen counted oysters plump as babies into red crates. A figure crouched beside her, weeping by threads of plastic pulled from a starved gut as the seas became acid baths and the sunset burned to dust. The appointment. The space between us moved with your eye rolls, 
as if eye rolls could lift wrongs and sit them right. Flipping over like a cardboard box, all my wounds would file out and march off. Except I'd hate to think they might find another home. I couldn't let someone else stroke them, feed them, curl up and cry on a bed with them, like a cat. Sometimes I think she runs into cars on purpose, limping her sleek body home to lick warm blood as if it were her lover's lips. One down, only eight to go. I never did figure out which way they were rolling, toward me, ahead of arms, torso, compassion. Or I wonder now if you thought I should let it be, ram the cardboard box full, tape it down, pack it away in a far corner of a dusty attic. Forget. Thank you so much to Terry and the rest of my guests for being on the podcast today. And of course, as always, I'm just going to leave you with one of my own poems. Um, this season, I am reading poems that have been published in various places this year. And today I am going to share a poem that appeared in Take Flight, which is the first printed anthology from the Flight of the Dragonfly team. So thank you so much to Darren J. Beanie and Barbara Mercer for publishing this poem in their anthology. Just before I begin, a little side note that Smithfield, which I mention in this poem, is a part of Dublin, one of the oldest parts of the inner city. It used to be the markets and also a place for piggeries. It is now partly progressive, partly still waiting for development. This is Cloud's Illusions. One. Lyric. I've looked at life from both sides now. Two. Observation. You trained as a butcher, cutting into death to see how it lived, in place of opening up to a life before death found its way out. Three. Fact. I could barely see over walls at five, no taller than those pigs your brother kept in city sty, fattening bellies between compress of concrete. Four. Reality. Gone now. Ground down by conglomerates. Skyscrapers rise in Smithfield. Cast shadows over met centres. There'll always be cracks. Five, curiosity. Google retraced your steps today. Where they paved over pigs but left the parade of your altar boy days. Returning home with coin to a mother you later avoided while she filled my pockets with all the coins that your devotion was too much to believe. There is more than one way to bring home the bacon. Six. Revelation. Behind the house, no longer hers or yours, 
and whitewashed away from any attachment to me. I watched the college of surgeons leaning and wondered if playing the butcher was as close as you got to being a doctor back then. If coins meant I love you like that five quid you stuffed in my fist for sweets when I said I was gay. And if life, love and all the clouds, when seen from other sides, make it any easier to swallow the portions sliced across our individual plates. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, men and women, non-conformers and non-believers, gender X and gender equals, we've reached the end of another episode of Eat the Storms, the poetry podcast. My name is Damien B. Donnelly. I've been your host and producer today, and I would like to say a huge thank you to my fantastic guests on the show. And they have been Jane Ayres, Terry Metcalf, Jerry Sarnat, Mary Ringland and Joanne Durham. Now, for details, as always, of all of my guests on today's show, head on over to www.eatthestorms.com. Click on the podcast section and there you will find a blog post for every episode. This was episode five, season six. And there in that blog post, you will find social media handles, bios and photos of all of my guests. Now, while you are over there at eatthestorms.com, you can also figure out how to be a guest on The Storm if you would like to be a stormer. If you are a poet, have a collection to promote or just some poems that you want to share with our audience. And before you leave Eat The Storms, you can also pick up a copy of our inaugural issue of The Storms, our new journal of poetry, prose and visual arts that is still making its way around the world to fantastic applause. So thank you to everyone who has so far picked up a copy. Congratulations to all our fantastic inaugural issue contributors. And a little heads up, it makes a fantastic stocking filler gift for Christmas. Issue two is coming out in January. We are just about to send out the yays and the nays this week, next week and the week after. It has been an enormous honour to read everybody's work. We have had over 2,000 pages of submissions that we have had to break down and cut down to only 100 pages. So Eileen Dupuyer, my sub-editor and myself have had such a task over the past few weeks but we are getting there so that's it for me today take care stay well be safe if there's an open fire toast those marshmallows and if there's rain why not just try singing underneath it my name is Damien B Donnelly this is Eat the Storms and from now until next time when we join you again I hope that you all stay bloody poetic